Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here we go. Jackson over the middle, caught by Hollywood Brown. See you later. Hollywood to the house. Jackson, the spin and toss. Ingram makes a man miss. Diving. Touchdown. Russell Wilson's first pass to Metcalf. And Metcalf had it, lost it, and is picked up by the Ravens. And running in is Marlon Humphrey for the touchdown. There's a second down and three. Jackson takes it himself. Look at him turn back and forth. Oh! He broke his ankles. Now he's got an entourage. And he's got a touchdown. He is Houdini. What a play. 47 yard. Touchdown run by the magical quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Raven. We are back. One week after recording our mock draft, we have all the NFL draft results to talk about. So many picks to discuss that are going to be new Baltimore Ravens. I'm Antonio Barbera. Very excited to get into the deep analysis of who the the future all pros that the Ravens drafted this past week. And I'm joined by my co-hosts, first of all, on the East Coast, Tim Horsey. Tim, how's it going, man? Oh, you know, another late April, early May, another excuse for me to get way too excited about every single player that the Ravens picked being, (laughs) at the very least, a solid contributor, which we know isn't the case, but I've hyped myself up on basically all all these picks that we're going to talk about today. Eric DaCosta does it again, so I am feeling fantastic. And on the West Coast, Jace Evans. And I'm going to take 10 seconds here to just say something that's really it's, – it's, it's, it's the what's bothering Antonio. Uh, I know this is a podcast. This is not visual, but we talk about it most weeks. Uh, Jace Evans has shaved – Everything really, that just <laughs> shape. The hair is gone. The long hair is gone. 
the the handlebar mustache slash facial hair is gone it's a clean cut new look summer jace and i jace i don't like it i'm gonna be i'm gonna be honest i enjoyed the gardner Minshew more but uh <laughs> but how, how are you feeling about the ravens draft results Oh, draft. I'm feeling good, Antonio. As for the hair, it was time. It'd been over, I think, 14 months, something like that, uh, 13, 14 months. So it just, you know, summer, cut it short, like the Ravens. New beginnings uh, with a new draft class. Very excited. As Tim said, um, a a lot to be excited about, I think. I And I think we'll get into it. An intriguing draft. First draft in three years. The Ravens have had two first-round picks and the first draft in many years where they entered the night with already having two picks. Um, so there's no shortage of things to talk about. We watched the first round together and had myriad emotions about it. And I think uh, just based on our, our pre-show conversations, I think some of our thoughts have changed a little bit. So I'm excited to kind of discuss our initial thoughts and then what we moved into all that. So very excited. Draft's always a fun time of year. We are going to get into the, the NFL stuff and the news and notes that happened uh, across the le- league in the second half of this episode, because this is a Ravens podcast. So we're just going to dive right in with their picks and get into it with the first selection the Ravens made. We were all clamoring for a playmaker, hoping for a wide receiver, and it does happen at 27 with Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota. I turned to you guys. All three of us were doing a, we were doing a, a live uh, Zoom uh, during the pod together or I should say during the draft together. And I think all three of us were, were pretty hype when, uh, when Bateman fell to the Ravens. What do you guys think of, uh, of his fit in Baltimore? I love it. I, I think we, uh, to give ourselves some credit, we mocked this pick correctly. It was one of our correct ones. And I think just because, uh, you know, in a perfect world, would the Ravens have had a chance at Jamar Chase perhaps? Yeah, <laughs> that would be ideal. That would be great if that was in play. But it wasn't. So I think in terms of the guys who were going to be around, I think you got the best receiver available, uh, an area definitely of need. And I think, you know, we, we, we see what some of these teams are doing. We talked, uh, I believe, last week about, um, you know, what all the, all the pieces the Chargers brought in for Justin Herbert, and they continue to do that in this draft. Uh, we look at what the Chiefs are putting around Patrick Mahomes, which they continue to do in this draft and with the Orlando Brown trade. Uh, the Ravens need to build around Lamar Jackson. And this was the offseason to do it after they kind of didn't really last offseason, uh, coming off their very successful 2019. So I love it. I, I, I think Bateman just brings such uh, – I, I think he's just like such the perfect receiver they were needing. Uh, Greg Roman um, said – uh, I don't know if this was today or as we record or um, just in the last few days, but he said, the thing that hits my brain is right place, right time. When I think about Rashad Bateman here with the Ravens, because I think he brings a style that is really going to compliment the guys who are here right now. And I think that's perfect because Bateman can play inside. He can play outside. He just does a lot of stuff. Well, uh, per mm-hmm. pro football focus, Bateman was the top rated receiver in the big 10 since 2019 overall and was third by PFF's count since 2019 in explosive plays behind Jamar Chase and Devonta Smith, who just won, Devonta Smith just won the Heisman, Chase won every single receiving award in 2019. So that's pretty good company. So to get a player like that at 27 who is versatile, who does make these plays and can help Lamar in ways that the guys that aren't on the team right now uh, do, I think that's great. I really love the pick. I was very satisfied and 
legitimately a little surprised based on some of the players on the board that the Ravens did go with kind of a splashier receiver pick versus, you know, a, a, a very Ravens pick would have been just taking a Tevin Jenkins right at that spot. Um, but they went with the receiver to help Lamar, and I was very pleased with that. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, we don't have a big physical guy who can dominate a, a corner on the slant and pick up those four yards on third and three. Um, that's what part of Bateman's game. And th- the thing is about Bateman's game, and this is according to Nate Tice from the Athletic Football Show, an incredibly smart film junkie guy that you should listen to when he speaks. First of all, he had Bateman as the second best receiver in this class behind Devontae Smith over Jamar Chase, over Jalen Waddell, over Elijah Moore and some other guys. And the fact that the Ravens, like Jace said, second receiver in what, three seasons now in the first round that they've picked. And you look at that room, Hollywood Brown, Sammy Watkins, Rashad Bateman, uh, Devin DuVarnay, James Prochet, and I, I put Miles Boykin way down the list. I'm not a huge fan of his, but that's a good room to t- to pack in with Mark Andrews and Nick Boyle as well. Like that is the. There's no more of this discourse of Lamar doesn't have the weapons, which is something we'll get to. He has the weapons now, and I think Bateman, he does everything well for for guys who and and you know to a degree ourselves. Obviously, we aren't like big super break down all the film draft guys. So you, you read these guys who are smarter than you in this department and, and you like to look for comps. Here are some of the comps that Rashad Bateman has gotten from Nate Tice and others. Allen Robinson, Keenan Allen, Michael Thomas, and Reggie Wayne. Guys who might not blow you out of the water with speed, might not be these super massive imposing figures, but play bigger than their size play faster than their 40 time, and do everything a receiver needs to do incredibly well. I mean, look, I, I the guys saw me on the Zoom. It was, what, like midnight? And I immediately leaped out of my chair and started screaming. Which, there was yelling. You know, <laughs> yeah, which is a little bit of a problem. I, I know I need to curtail just a bit, especially living in a tiny studio apartment here in Washington, D.C. But there's something about this pick where everybody wanted it to happen, Analysts were thinking that it would just be a great move. And you just have this doubt because you're like, you know, the Ravens do need some offensive line help. The Ravens do love drafting defensive ends and the bunch of them are still there and we'll get to one in just a second. And they went with, you know what? Let's help our quarterback in the best way possible. Getting this receiver who so many people rate really highly. I'm, I'm steamed up. And I have to say it. The number zero is awesome, but I was going to be really upset if he came into the league number zero. It's been confirmed on Monday. Rashad Bateman will be wearing number 12, a la former uh, Jacoby Jones, who we'll get to. Don't worry. So I like the number fit, too. I think that works. Um, I can't wait. I, I, Sammy Watkins, Hollywood Brown, Rashad Bateman, Mark Andrews with J.K. Dobbins in the backfield. Like, guys, that's really good. That is really, really good if everything projects as it should be. So uh, I'm very excited. The one thing, and Antonio, before you go, the one thing I do worry about, and it's been talked about a lot, uh, talked about a lot and uh, Nate Tice, who I'll reference a bunch here because I really respect his opinions, did like a gif of just kind of like being, it was a Simpsons gif of being hung up uh, like in a, like a prison cell or something, but kind of smiling and like me thinking about Rashad Bateman going to the Ravens but then thinking of Greg Roman's passing offense, which has been called middle school by a lot of people. <laughs> they've, they've mentioned how it needs to improve, and Greg Roman himself has said it's going to be even more of a change than it was from 
what, 2019 to 2020. It's going to be even more of a change here in 2021. We have to see that come true. And maybe some of the coaches they brought in will help that, but remains to be seen. All the potential in the world is there. The fit makes perfect sense. Now they have to curtail the offense to help out a little bit too, I think. I mean, some great points all around. I love, Tim, I love the room now. I love the offensive skill position room. And we hated it six weeks ago. I hated (laughs) it six weeks ago because of how thin I thought it was. I I don't have, you know, I'm not going to add too much of, of what you guys have already said describing Bateman, but he's a proven possession receiver we are we are not going to have concerns it's not like he's not the guy where it's well look he's got that crazy speed it's just a matter of whether he can locate the ball and bring it in like that's just the thing that we need to figure out that is not his ml he's got the hands he's got the route running and that's what we need in a weird way we don't need the superstar wide receiver we need the game the small game changing wide receiver as tim mentioned the third and fours and it just seems like the perfect type player for that exact play and situation that last year the Ravens just did not have when you double teamed Mark Andrews and forced Lamar to stay in the pocket if you could. So it's a great pick. It's, it's a proven receiver that was mocked to the Ravens all over the place, including a pod like the Ravens mocked first round. And it's a great fit. And I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to the number 12, Tim, and not the number zero catching, catching slants and turning three yard catches into 10 yard gains on third and six in the other direction with the second pick in the first round, which I think maybe we were most excited that it was a player that the Ravens drafted and not a trade back at that point, but the Ravens certainly going not in an opposite direction, but in a different direction, they go defensive. They go with a much more of a talent that needs to be refined. That needs to be worked on, but ex- explosive abilities in uh, I'll, I'll call him Jason Owe first. And now change it to Odafe Owe, which is the apparently that was his first name growing up, but he went by Jason for, for a while and is now going to go back to the OG, Odafe Owe, linebacker out of Penn State. The red flag, everybody's talked about it. We all know it. Zero sacks last season. And he's an edge guy who is going to try to be getting sacks in the NFL now, where the competition <laughs> is just a little stiffer. Um, I was not as. Th- so I'll. I'll, I'll peek behind the curtain here for the listener. All three of us have, I think our opinions changed about OA three or four different times (laughs) in the last few days. Um, I don't know how excited I am. I love a guy with upside. Great. I watched some of the game highlights, game tape of his after they drafted him. And so you look for his toughest competition, which would have been the Ohio state games. That's where he's going against the highest caliber of offensive linemen, and he, in my opinion, struggled mightily against Ohio State's left tackle for 95% of the game. Um, he looked a little hesitant as a pass rusher. He sort of did the starting to run at Justin Fields, and then as soon as it looked like Fields may throw, he stopped mm. and put his hands up instead of continuing to run or at least try to close down the angle. And I'm I'm a little wary that these kind of – these little mistakes that are made by players without a ton of experience or a ton of refinement are going to rear their ugly head in the NFL. So I turned to my two co-hosts who I think their opinions maybe were positive, negative, but then positive again. So I'm going to turn to them to make me feel better about what OA is going to bring as a first round pick for the Ravens. So like you on draft night, I was not exactly enamored with the pick. I think I even said in the lead up, 
to the pick that Owe was the only guy on the board that I wasn't really excited about. You know, we were, um, Aziz Ojolari was still there, who we became enamored with. Tevin Jenkins was still on the board. We, we fell in love with Aziz Ojolari over the course of about 15 minutes in a <laughs> ridiculous way. Yeah. Um, yeah, Tevin Jenkins is similarly still on the board. Trayvon Morig was still around. Um, some of these guys we weren't entirely sure would be there were. Um, and then they selected OA. And I will admit, I was not exactly enthused about a team des- desperately in need of pass rush help, um, uh, you know, drafting a pass rusher without any sacks against major competition. Um, and it was a weird season, we should say. He did have sacks in 2019. But still, the most recent season he put out there, he did not get to the quarterback once in uh, their five or six games, however many they played. Um, but, and the other thing I guess I will say with Owe that concerned me was, um all the other high like when he got drafted all the highlights that like the ravens account showed that a lot of the show uh like espn and stuff showed was uh what he did uh not against competition just running the 40 yard dash and running cones and i go both ways on this on the one hand i'm like well it's probably not good that his highlights are not football related <laughs> that's like the nathan peterman uh, Bill's Twitter account when he was named the starting quarterback and it was like his warm-up throws before preseason games. Yeah. Uh, so that concerned me a little. I was like, uh-oh, there's not a lot of football highlights to show. But the counterpoint is the physical highlights they did show off are amongst the best ever seen, like since they've really been tracking this stuff in the last, you know, however many dozen years or so, when they've really, really drilled down into it. He is one of the most athletic players that has come into the draft at his size. He, so he six foot five, two fifty seven, and he ran a four point three nine forty uh, at his pro day, which is like, what mind blowing. So my hope and what I've started to I I don't want to say cling to, but my hope is a franchise like the Ravens, who has developed players, you know Matthew Judon, fifth round picks, Zadari Smiths later round pick as well uh these guys who you know have become good pass rushers in the nfl um to how great they are that's to be debated zadari smith certainly a lot more successful i'd say than matt judon but um uh i think when you take a developmental guy like this i have a little more faith in the team in a in a team like the ravens turning him into something and I, I I hang hopes on that. I think Wink's a creative guy. I think they, he will find advantages to uh, ways to take advantage of his athleticism and his physicality uh, and all his athletic gifts and just find a way to help him get to the quarterback because, uh, you know, Lord knows the team needs it. <laughs> so uh, I've come around on it a bit. I will say I'm still – I still have some some reservations, but I certainly feel better – about the Ravens developing him just because the athletic gifts are so insane that if he could like stay healthy, it's like they, it, I, they seem like they have to translate some way. Like he's like too talented to not have some minor level of success at the very least. And if you want to look at it, maybe this is rationalizing it. This was their second first round pick. So if you say we only had one, our first pick, we drafted Rashad Bateman, you can kind of take a flyer on a guy um, 
with a little more risk. And I think that's, you know, we mentioned some of the differences. I think that you started to see uh, from Eric DaCosta with Eric DaCosta running the show versus Ozzie Newsom uh, primarily in charge. Um, we mentioned two receivers in three years. That was unheard of, would have been unheard of in the Ozzie era, drafting that many receivers in that short a period of time in the first round. And then taking a, a kind of project guy, like the Ravens, I feel like under Ozzy, for good or worse, uh, for better or worse, would draft proven things. But it definitely seems like, especially in this draft, and a guy we'll talk about a little later, a lot more projecty guys, a lot more athletic freaks uh, that they seem to be dra- uh, gravitating to. And it's just kind of interesting to look at that kind of dynamic and the differences between the two uh, GMs. Yeah, and I think part of that could have been the COVID season too. So like if a guy doesn't produce as well in this 2020, you just say, Eh, throw it out. We know what he is as an athlete. Um, first of all, your point on Wink is great. Side note, I know it's over. If you haven't watched the Ravens hype-up video before the draft, uh, watch it. It features a lot of our favorite man, Wink Martindale, including a quote that said, lock the gates, burn the ships, it's going down at the bank, which, I mean, yes, yes, please, let's go. Um, in terms of, Ed, I've heard Adafe Owe, you know, we'll, we'll see what, it actually comes out with the pronunciation guides. But uh, um, with, with OA, you love that when that pick gets made, a lot of Twitter and a lot of, um, you know, the analysts and stuff go, how did the Ravens get this guy? How did DaCosta pick this guy to plug him in immediately to Baltimore's defense and to Wink Martindale's system? I think Wink Martindale's looking at this dude and going, yeah, We'll find a way to get him to the quarterback. You're telling me he runs a 4-3? We'll open up some lanes so that he's got a clear one to just hit Ben Roethlisberger right in the face mask over and over and over again. The other thing to think about, too, you talk about drafting tendencies. Yes, the Ravens have been relatively successful finding these late-round guys, but that's no guarantee. You know, as much as we love to say sack daddy, that guy hasn't really turned out yet so far uh, in terms of Jalen Ferguson in 2019. This is the first pass rusher that they've drafted in the first round since T sizzle in 2003. So if they feel like a position that they don't usually give a first round grade to, or, you know, the board falls as it may, whatever. And remember with this pass pass rushing class, a lot of questions about everybody, even our favorite Aziz Ojolari, that guy had some late injury stuff pop up that people, it scared a lot of people away, maybe including the Ravens, or maybe they just didn't have him, have him drafted as highly. I think in, in a class like this, where the biggest ding from this guy is, yeah, the sack numbers weren't there and he might be a little raw, but we know we have the coaching staff to develop in. I think you take that guy. And I know, I know, I'm singing a different tune than I usually do about you need sacks, you need sacks, you need sacks. And I think at the next level, he does need to produce that. But I think they saw enough from him in college and in that ridiculous workout, which our offensive, or excuse me, our outside linebackers coach said was the best workout he's ever seen live and it wasn't even close. <laughs> You take that guy and you put him into the defense. Those talents, by the way, those talents already and what he does physically and and the tape that he put on, he's already a good run defender. Like that part of his game is there. He's going to set the edge. He's going to allow guys like Patty Queen to run in there into the gaps and make plays. So you're telling me Calais Campbell disrupting guys inside. Derek Wolf, who according to PFF was great at stopping the run already, disrupting guys. Don't forget Brandon Williams. Maybe Justin Matabuke gets some in the defensive line. And then Owe setting the edge to bring everything back to those mammoths. That right there already entices me. I know sack, sack, sacks, getting to the quarterback is obviously important. But the fact that this guy already has that one trait that we know. And then don't forget, 
He's a physical freak. He is an absolute monster in the best way possible. I have faith. And trust me, I am singing a different tune. I was way more Antonio Barbera on Thursday night. I have faith that this coaching staff can get the most out of him, especially with all their quotes, which, you know, it's a little it's a little bit of tongue-in-cheek, or not tongue-in-cheek, but they they don't reveal all their secrets, obviously. But DaCosta said after the first round, yeah, the board fell the way we wanted it to. Like, we got the two guys we wanted. That makes me pretty excited. Call me a homer. I'm sitting here with two of my good friends talking about the Ravens draft picks. I'm going to be positive. But there's something about it where I can just see this guy in three years is posting 10 sack seasons, 10 sack season, 10 sack season. And people are going, why did we let the Ravens draft a dude like this? Why? Why? Because he's just getting after Baker Mayfield constantly. He's getting after whoever the hell is playing quarterback after next year for Pittsburgh. He's getting, he's, he's disrupting Patrick Mahomes. And that's the other thing, you know, I know we're, these are the early picks. We're going to rant a little bit on the early picks. Don't worry. It's, it's not going to be a four hour episode. (laughs) The, the one thing, the one word that you keep hearing about him is disruption. He's constantly making a mess for offenses. He's constantly getting in the face of the quarterback, going after the running back. And he, be, he can become, as the SB Nation article put it, an apex predator with the right coaching in this defense. And I mean, come on. You got to love that. You got to. The, the the one final thing I think we should say about him, too, is he's only been playing football since 2016. Um and is now in the NFL. Even better. Even so, better. Yeah. It now being his full-time job, this is all he's working on, you know, uh, working, watching the film, working out. This is his job. This is all he's going to be doing is football-related activities. Uh, and it has his sole focus. I like, you know, I don't know, obviously, a ton about his personality, but by all accounts, he seems like a pretty nice guy, hard worker and stuff and so if you know if he he just works hard at it you like to hope doing it full-time you just kind of naturally get better at it now uh, something you've only been doing for five years <laughs> so uh uh you know I, I i like uh i like that aspect of it too and as tim said he did have 20 pressures last year despite his non-sacks which was a uh you know a little as we said it is a red flag uh espn said he his zero sacks were the fewest among a first round defensive end or outside linebacker in the last 25 years so that's not great but i do think there's enough positives that i definitely feel a lot better um about this selection and then seeing guys like ojalari fall as tim mentioned and um uh that, which was interesting. So it, it took, for me, the pick kind of came down to they liked what his potential and what he could be versus maybe what might be more of a sure thing like a Tevin Jenkins. That'd be like the one guy or um, I think uh, that the Ravens passed on that I think maybe could really come back to bite them in a, any significant way because I think he, he, you know, he, he has the potential to be a great right tackle in the NFL. But, you know, if Oway becomes a great pass rusher, it's a, it's a non-issue. So... I'm definitely a lot higher on it than I was just a few days ago. Those were the last 10 minutes were on the psychiatrist's couch with Antonio Barbera <laughs> with my two co-hosts. Thank you very much. I, I do feel better. I, the thing that I like of this is his ability to set the edge and his ability to stop the run, because that's sort of a, like a worst case scenario. You still have a guy who's proven to be good at this in a division where you're going to have to play Nick Chubb twice. You have to play the future Steelers running back Najee Harris twice. 
You're going to play Derrick Henry at least once a year, seemingly maybe twice. I like having a, you know a stout run stopper on the edge, a big athletic guy like that that has to take down these these really powerful running backs. And then the other side of it, this is a, maybe I'm you know this is going to look bad in two years, so don't don't record this and play this back for me. But <laughs> the comp for me with a guy like this, weirdly, is like DK Metcalf. Like if his jumping out of the gym numbers and athletic ability and these tests and drills for a guy whose college career is, you know, pretty good, pretty good. None of DK Metcalf's Ole Miss numbers were really strong, but then he had the combine and people thought, Oh my goodness, but he dropped because of the injury concerns. He dropped because of the the college stats. If OA does develop, does become this 10 sacks per season edge guy, you're exactly right, Tim, that the Red, you know, with the Ravens getting him with their second pick in the first round, all these teams are going to be annoyed, scratching their heads, and it, you know, they're going to think, why have we let another guy who had all the tools clearly go to, to the Ravens and get Pro Bowls as a, as a pass rusher, which would be nice. The Ravens, what, the other thing we thought they were going to do was trade back and grab at least one second round pick. They did not do that took the two first rounders and thus did not then trade up. So had no second round picks and they just sat and they sat patiently and they waited for the third round to address what was literally need number three. They addressed need one, two and three with their first three picks. And this third pick in the third round is the guard out of Georgia, Ben Cleveland. And I'm just going to give Tim is Tim is our in the trenches guys. So I'm just going to turn this pick over to Tim, Tim. uh, I'm going to assume that you're into, uh, the only thing you won't like about Ben Cleveland is that his last name is Cleveland, but everything else looks pretty good. <laughs> it's legitimately the only thing I don't like. Um, he's gone viral on social media for looking like the mountain from Game of Thrones. He's six foot six, 357 pounds, and just dominates dudes when you look at the film. I, I highly encourage you to look up Brian Baldinger's evaluation of this guy. He's got pretty quick feet. The technique isn't always there. But he's done a lot of the pooling systems as the Ravens use. And he's going to be playing next to Ronnie Stanley in pass protection. So you think he's going to be okay there. And if you don't love that, listen to this answer from his interview with ESPN's Alyssa Lang on how he got the nickname. and Just a great nickname. Big Country. That was my high school O-line coach. Uh, you know, I'm sure everybody's heard the story of me you know, shoot a squirrel one day when I played hooky from school. For those who don't know the story, can you give it to us in like 30 seconds? Uh, so I stayed home from school one day, um, played sick, you know how we did whenever we were real young. And uh, anyway, I got to looking and didn't have no food in the house. So I looked across the backyard and there was two squirrels in the tree. So I just, I got my 22 and I shot them from the tree and I cooked them up and that was it. Whenever Mama came home, there was a couple of squirrel skins on the porch, um, and you know that—that's actually that's been one of my funnest stories that's ever been released uh, on me since I've you know been through this whole recruiting and college football deal. Um, that's kind of the one that just kind of gets people going. So I feel like that's a proud thing to be able to say. Like as a teenager, you just were like, "I'm hungry. I'm going to go take care of myself." Oh, no doubt. No doubt. You know, that's that's what we were raised doing, so that's what I was going to do. Did you already know how to cook squirrel? Like, I, I have, I'm have, i not very good in the kitchen anyway, and I would have no clue how to cook squirrel, but did you, like, Google it, or how did that process go? 
you know, it's kind of hard to mess up stuff on the grill. So, I mean, if, if you get too worried about it, just put it on the grill until it feels done and looks done. And then you just try it and see where it goes. I mean, look, I've never had squirrel before, but <laughs> a man after my own heart of as soon as I heard that, I was like, you know, the last guard that we drafted in the third round ended up driving his camper from Iowa to the Ravens facility. He worked out by working on a farm and tossing hay bales, and that guy's going to be a Hall of Famer. Now, look, I'm not setting that expectation here for Ben Cleveland, but you you can't help but feel some of the similarities. Obviously, he's bigger. He's, he's a mountain of a man at six foot six, 357 pounds, but he plays mean. Remember the thing he always talked about, Yonda? Put him in between the white lines, and he wants to kill you. Ben Cleveland is the same way, and I say that with the utmost respect. He wants to kill the man in front of him. There was a, I watched some tape of him because, of course, I didn't watch any other tape of anybody else. But as soon as Ben Cleveland gets on there, I'm like, I need this in my life. Of him against Christian Barmore, who went to the New England Patriots in the second round that everybody thought was kind of a steal. And he's eating him alive. He's eating the Alabama defensive tackle alive, pushing him off the line, sealing him off the edge, hitting him, and then getting to a combo block. There was another... Um, piece of film from that Alabama game in pass protection where Patrick Sertan is coming from a blitz. He Ben Cleveland drops back in pass protection, sees him coming and is able at six foot six, 357 pounds. Let me reiterate it again, is able to get there over in time and knock Sertan out of the way to protect his quarterback. I, this came through and Quinn Myers, the, the Wisconsin whitewater guard was still there. And the story, like, look, the story about him like practicing uh, his technique on a log and then like chopping down trees in a workout video and playing with his belly out of the senior bowl. I would have been waxing as poetic as I am right now if they got, if they picked that guy. And admittedly, I didn't know as much about Ben Cleveland. But as soon as they picked him, all everything you saw was just like, there's your left guard for the next 10 years. There he is. I, I, I honestly, there's probably negatives. Maybe I've just refused to see them. I've literally put blinders on just to look at the positives. But I look now, Stanley, Ben Cleveland, big country, Bradley Bozeman at center, Kevin Zeitler at right guard, remember that. And then whoever, whichever one of these right tackles that they sign. Remember, as we record this, the window is now open for them to sign free agents without losing comp picks. So expect one of Alejandro Villanueva, Dennis Kelly, Mitchell Schwartz, whoever it be, to be signed by the Ravens as everybody's been linking that. Um, And it it, might have happened by the time you listen to this. Who knows? After losing Orlando Brown, who is a great player, that looks pretty good to me. And I, I'm just it, it, this, as you can tell, I think my favorite pick in this draft. Yeah, Tim certainly uh, probably watched even way more film than I did after this pick was made. But uh, he's the, murdering dudes on a football field. It's incredible. Well, that that's what I I love, Tim. You you mentioned Meyer Miner. I don't know Myers uh, Myers or something. Yeah, but. Uh, you know, Ben Cleveland was a, 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 a like mainstay basically the last few years on the Georgia offensive line, one of the biggest offensive lines in college football. Um, I believe they are currently the biggest. So, what I love about him, you know, it, you you worry sometimes. It's like, uh, c- can these guys hold up against the sides in the NFL trenches? I don't think you have that worry with a guy who's enters the league at 6'6", 357. Like, <laughs> that's just incredible. Um, and so to bring that size and, uh, you know, to play 
no disrespect to a guy like Myers, but you know, D3 Wisconsin Whitewater, he might be a great product, but when you play for Georgia, you're playing the best of the best. As you said, play defending very well against uh, Christian Barmore's uh, pass rushes and stuff. Um, and so I'm just very, uh, you know, it's hard to be too excited about a guard in the third round, but I'm pretty excited for a guard in the third round. I think, as you said, he seems like he'll be pretty much the left guard starter from day one and kind of should lock everything into place, assuming they just move Bozeman over and stuff. So very, very excited, very uh, uh, pleased with this pick. Then just 10 picks later, the Ravens again in the third round, this time going with Brandon Stevens, defensive back out of SMU, who seems, Jace, a bit more maybe of a, of a project in, uh, in the secondary for the Ravens, but has some talent. Yeah, so we, we kind of talked about uh, this with OA, but another another project guy, six foot, two hundred thirteen pounds, intriguing physical tools. Actually, started his uh, football career as a running back at UCLA before uh, transferring and uh, to SMU and uh, changing positions. Um, so you know you can never have too much cornerback depth. I don't think at this point in the NFL, as we discussed at length on and off last season, as guys just continued to get <laughs> hurt and banged up and stuff. Um, and so similarly, I think he's a guy they view they like his athletic profile, um, and they took a chance. And it's interesting with him that he is actually the only non-power conference guy the Ravens drafted in this entire draft. Um, so they clearly must have like something about his, his physical makeup or what they saw on the tape uh, via Jeff uh, Zrebeck from the athletic uh, Deca- Eric DeCasa said, focusing a lot of attention on big school guys was partly because of COVID 19s impact on the college football season made scouting more difficult and created more unknowns. So they kind of just shied away from small school guys in this draft, it seems, but uh, yeah, clearly they saw enough with Stevens that they liked. I honestly can't say I know too much else about him uh wasn't as glued in on SMU this season as I might be on most years just how weird it was and them not playing uh big guys but yeah I mean I like it as a depth move as I said you can never have too much there so seems good (laughs) yeah I don't have a ton to say here I mean and we'll make this point with uh Wade later that's such a great point that I've heard a lot of people make depth at premium positions corner offensive line pass rusher is very very important so this for me is the most questionable pick. There were definitely still some more tackles, which Antonio addressed. It was need number three was offensive line. More specifically, was tackle. Again, we'll see. Maybe I'm not convinced Villanueva is a starting right tackle, but if it's like a Dennis Kelly or even Mitchell Schwartz, if he stays healthy, God willing, um, there could have been another need there. But I don't know. This maybe this is Lardarius Webb. I know SMU is a little bit bigger than Nickel State, but maybe it's something like that. Defended 23 passes, I think, in 23 games uh, and also had a pick. So, yeah, we'll see. Not not really a ton to say on uh, Brandon Stevens, though. You talk about depth, Tim. The Ravens then in the fourth round, double dipping with another wide receiver. They've taken, by my math at least five in the last three years now maybe even more i think i read it's two each of the last three drafts because they took boykin and hollywood right uh, boykin, Proche, that's what Duvernay, and then this year with six uh, my goodness this one is uh tylen wallace out of oklahoma state big time production there he had 1500 receiving yards and 13 touchdowns as a sophomore and 3400 receiving yards over his 
I mean, basically over three years. He had 3,300 receiving yards in his last three years with Oklahoma State. Uh, I think he even had a potential first-round draft grade in his junior year, but then tore his ACL late in that season, um, which hurt hurt his stock. And, and, you know, I I don't want to speculate on an ACL tear impacting a player's burst and, and quickness and speed because I can't, you know, obviously I don't have that sort of expertise and I haven't seen it myself, but the draft stock certainly fell after that ACL tear because he had a fairly strong senior season and a 1.1% drop rate last year, which was second best in all of FBS. Um, I'm, I'm weirdly excited about this guy. I think he's got a lot of potential, but the issue for him is going to be, I can't believe I'm saying this. The issue for him is not going to be breaking into this deep wide receiver room. You have Hollywood, Sammy Watkins, now Rashad Bateman, Duvernay, Prochet, and Boykin that are all going to at least start the season ahead of him uh, on the depth chart. So he's almost slotted in now as that sixth and last wide receiver on this team. So maybe some special teams work for him or, or fighting to get ahead of some of those younger wide receivers on the depth chart. Or it spells the end for a Miles Boykin or a maybe even a James Prochet who we saw none of uh, really outside of punt returning last year. Uh, yeah. I, did we just like, were we trying not to spoil the draft when we mentioned the the Ravens receiving room before and just for didn't put Tylen Wallace in there? Because I think he's a pretty significant piece now. Um, again, another guy, as Antonio said, sure-handed player like Bateman, technical, efficient route runner, wins balls, physical, competitive. Like these are all the words you hear about this guy. He's not going to blow you out of the water with speed. The injury might be a little bit of a concern, but it, it, like the, the the whole good thing is if there's a 50 50 ball up for grabs, it's his, he's going to make a play on the ball. He's going to bully corners. Why not? Like a, a, it seems like another guy that a lot of people had way higher than he went like Bateman. Some people had a bit higher than he went or sort of in that range, maybe like the Colts at 21, something like that. But at the moment, hearing from smart people who, if you go back and listen to them and then look at the production five years on or whatever, obviously aren't going to nail every pick, but Bateman and Wallace as your wide receiver back-to-back. My initial reaction when I saw this was, wow, they went receiver again, but then this is clearly what they covet. They're clearly coveting guys who can win one-on-one battles, guys who are precise route runners, guys who catch the ball, funny enough, for a wide receiver. So I love it. I I, I absolutely love it. I don't – Antonio, I think think it's a little higher. I think he is – if you're looking at the receiver room, like right now, and again – we don't know X and Z and slot and all that stuff, but just take take it for what it is. I think you've got Brown, Watkins, Bateman are your three that are going to be on the field the most. Duvarnay and then probably Tylen Wallace if he produces what they think, leaving Prochet and Boykin out, you know, out to dry a little bit. But another another solid pick in my opinion. I was really excited to see this pick. I and I, I didn't you know didn't really expect it. Didn't really think too much about him still being on the board, but. Yeah, Tyler Wallace has just been like consistent, like one of the best um, receivers in college football the last few years. And, and he kind of, you know, maybe not exact physical makeup. I can't remember all his numbers, but like he kind of reminds me almost of a guy like Tyler Lockett, who I don't even think went drafted actually, but was extremely productive at Kansas State. And for some reason, like it didn't get drafted and then went to Seattle and became one of Russell Wilson's like favorite targets. Like, I think even if Wallace doesn't have the speed, he's not the biggest guy. He's 5'11". I just think he does so much well that you need to do well 
as a, a wide receiver that I think he'll, he'll be able to find some measure of success. I, I certainly hope at least in the NFL, um, like Tim said, he does the most important thing a receiver can do, which is catch the ball uh, pretty much. And um, even if he can't, you know, create uh, the separation necessarily because of maybe some of his physical limitations, he can catch in traffic um, to cite pro football focus again, because they do about as good to deep stats as you can find in the college game. Um, since his sophomore year in 2018, no player in FBS has pulled in more contested catches uh, than Tylen Wallace. So that's pretty solid. And then, uh, and he also had 73 receptions of 15 plus yards, uh, which were the second uh, most receptions in FBS of 15 plus yards in that time. So he was just extremely productive, extremely uh, great when it came to uh, great when it came to contested catches and. I think we're really, you know, hard to find any qualms with it as far as fourth round, you know, picks go. I, I was very excited. I think it's a great pick. And like we said, I mean, I think adding him uh, to the room, I think you have to say Eric DaCosta did his job to improve the weapons. And so now it's down to Greg Roman and it's down to Lamar to, to show the improvement. And we should say, just to throw it in somewhere, Lamar, fifth year extension has been exercised. So... Uh, no need to worry about that. The, the tension now turns to his extension, but, uh, you know, they got two years until they absolutely need to sign something. So we're across that bridge when they come to it, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, the focus is on them now because I think Eric DaCosta did his best to kind of replenish the cupboard, in, in the, in the certain, especially in the wide receiver room. Lamar salary will go from like 1.7 million to 22 million. And I think he's still, it's still kind of a deal for Baltimore for another season where he'll end up making uh, maybe twice that per year after, <laughs> after 2022. All right. The last three picks that the Ravens made, uh, I'm going to let you guys do it, do a minute or two on what you like uh, from one or more of these guys, Sean Wade, another cornerback out of Ohio state, Dalen Hayes, a defensive end out of Notre Dame. And then Ben Mason, a tight end slash fullback out of Michigan. For all you listeners out there, that's right. Another dude who can seemingly do multiple things where he's just laying his mass into other, other opposing football players. Uh, what do you guys like about uh, these three picks? I'll just go quickly here because I know Jace, these are big-time programs that Jace watches a lot, so he might have a little bit more to say. I love the Sean Wade pick. Like, I know that guy's name, and I'm not that big of a college football guy. He was supposed to be – he was potentially a first-rounder if he came out last year. Uh, he decided not to. He came back. He, they put him on the outside rather than the slot, and he struggled a little bit. I think he had some injuries as well. But in the slot, as John Harbaugh and DeCasse and all them referenced, he is a slot cornerback for this team. He was dominant. And you know what? Again, outside of the drafting depth at these premium positions – if he's a good slot player and maybe, you know, to start, he's even Tavon Young's backup in the slot. Marlon Humphrey gets pushed to the outside and we don't, we're not forced to play Marlon Humphrey inside unless they want to. And I think that's something that's a massive benefit for this team where Marlowe can go out and, and actually lock down receiver number one on the outside if he has to. So I think that's absolutely huge. And then, I mean, look, I'm going to skip Dalen Hayes. I'm apologizing. Jace, we'll get to him. Don't worry, because we have to talk about the man who wore a make fullbacks great again hat to his video press conference with the Ravens. Where, are, where, where is that? I need that hat now. I needed it yesterday. I needed it before I even knew about it to add to my wardrobe. But 
Um, look, when the fir- pick first came in, my heart sunk a little bit because I looked at the contract and I realized that Patrick Ricard is only under contract for one more year with the Baltimore Ravens. This could be his final year with the Ravens. I hate to say it, but there, Ben Mason also apparently just one of those guys that when the pick was made, it was like, oh, yeah, he's going to fit in really well with what they do. Um, you know, didn't catch a lot of balls, but did show some potential for that. And then the Ravens did when they mentioned drafting him, they mentioned him as a tight end. And you know what that tells me? That tells me they're going back to three tight ends on, on some sets. They're going back to Nick Boyle and Mark Andrews and Ben Mason, who will simply be there to knock dudes out, which, you know what, we talked about with, and and this is the funny balance. Like, we talk about Bateman. It's like, Bateman needs to be super productive. And then I'm also like, yeah, I would love to see them line up with two fullbacks in the backfield and Gus Edwards. Like, yes, please, let's do that. Um, so I think that pick, it has a long-term, it has a long-term idea to it, unfortunately, for a Project Pat, Pat podcast. <laughs> but at the same time, I think that there could be um, some immediate contributions from Ben Mason too that I'm excited about. Yeah, I mean, just a, a fullback from the University of Michigan where his brother is the head coach is like one of the most John Harbaugh picks, especially for your final pick of the whole draft. I was I was over the moon with it. As you said, a little sad because it probably does spell the end of Patrick Ricard's time in Baltimore in 2022. But uh, that, that I was very amused by that. And I will say I love the Sean Wade to, uh, pick two uh, Tim, for exactly what you said, um, because, you know, there are concerns about if he could play outside. He, he, the, the, the tape was not great for him, as, as they say. I was reading a, tw- a, a 247 article kind of compiled uh, while he was uh, sliding in the draft. And they had this interesting uh, tidbit um, from Todd McShay. I'll just read off um, uh, about uh, Wade's 2020 season. Uh, McShay said, on uh, ESPN's first draft podcast, I think he proved he belongs inside. He's a nickel corner. He can play a little free safety. He can move around. He's physical. He's tough. He can tackle in the open field really well. We saw that last night, but he's not cut out, at least at this point, to be a perimeter cover corner that takes away your number one ride receiver. He's just not. But you know what? That's okay, because the Ravens already handsomely pay two guys who do do that on the outside and take away your number one and number two corners. So I think if he's able to play in the slot and able to move around and even dabble in some safety, uh, which I think we should say too, they mentioned maybe Stevens could also, Brandon Stevens could also play some safety for them. Um, uh, I think that's great. I think the versatility is fantastic. And I think it's okay to draft a guy with a high ceiling, maybe not a high ceiling, but I'd say like a high floor if he's able to, you're able to play to his strengths. Like we said, he was, he probably was projected by many to be a first round pick. He's talented. Ohio state listed him at six one. Um, so I, I really like it. I think especially for where they took him was he, it was fifth round. I believe they took him. Um, so yeah, for like a, a late round pick, I, a guy that some people thought just a year ago could be a first round pick, even if, you know, he can't, he does have limitations. I think he just so perfectly fills uh what they need um, in the depth piece. I, I, I really like the move. And then just to touch on Dalen Hayes, um, in a two-year starter at Notre Dame, which that counts for something, a major program that played in the college football playoff last year. Um, so the, uh, that's solid. Uh, per Jameson Hensley, two-year starter at Notre Dame, who's considered a developmental pass rusher. He's dealt with shoulder issues. He was in college forever. He played, he had a redshirt season. Uh, so he, um, you know, 
not too much to say about him other than, as we said, depth at premium positions is depth on the defensive line. Uh, and I think they need that. I think they showed last year when they had some injuries, it's an older defensive line. And I think that's another benefit to taking a guy like Jason Owe because everyone else up front outside of, as you, Tim mentioned, Justin Batabuke is over 30 now. <laughs> Calais Campbell, Justin Wolf, Brandon Williams. So, uh, you know, just getting younger, getting depth there. I think it's a solid move. And, and you know, a two-year starter at Notre Dame, I think you can't you can't sneeze at that, um, even if maybe his pro potential is not over the – like super great or anything but i think it's solid depth move so yeah that's that's the the ravens draft in a nutshell that's uh every pick it was uh generally very pleased i'd say i although i will say as ravens fans i think we're spoiled and i think we leave most drafts pretty pleased <laughs> as ravens fans the team did get pretty high grades sort of across the media landscape in terms of the overall draft class, but I'm going to instead ask a couple of very, very specific over-unders for you guys quickly. First, let's start with OA because he's sort of the more fun uh, projection guy, but will he have more or less than four sacks in the 2021 Ravens season? I'm going to say over. I was thinking four, but there's the extra game. So he's got another game to do it, 17 games to do it in. And I, and I think, like, we think of, well, we lost Matt Judon. He had six sacks last year, and he was the Ravens' leading sack guy. I don't think it's like someone has to sack the QB, and if they're putting him in a position to succeed, I think he could get to four, certainly to four and a half or five, I hope. So someone's got to if, – if, if he does it, I don't know who does. So that's kind of yeah. at least uh, hoping, I guess, he gets over four. I feel like, oh man, <laughs> I like, I, and this is just me being a dumb sports fan, but I feel like if I say yes, I'm destined, he's destined to like fail. <laughs> and I, I don't know why I think that, but I kind of do, but screw it. Yeah. He's got, I, I can't, I can't heap praise on him and how he fits in Wink's system and all the disruptiveness and then not go over. So we're going over. We'll say four and a half, five. Maybe six. Maybe if he matches Matt Judon's total from last year as a rookie, I'm going to be steamed. Oh, I mean, the uh, greatest thing in the world is if he just comes out and has like 15 and a half sacks. That would be so wonderful. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take, with that being said, I'm going to take the under on, <laughs> on four. But, but in two years, he gets double digits. That's my, uh, that's my hot bet with that. Um, will Rashad Bateman have more or less than 600 yards receiving? It's the magic number for Ravens uh, skill position guys. Will he get more or less than 600 receiving yards next season for the Ravens? I'll go quickly, Jace here. I think it's an easy under and I, it's nothing against him. It's just, I, again, I'm pulling him up now uh, in terms of receiving yards last year, Marquise Brown, 769, Mark Andrews, 701, Willie Sneed, 432. Um, I think he beats that 432 number. But I'm not ready to sit here and say, and maybe it's part of they have so many weapons. Maybe there's so many people to get the ball to now um, that it maybe is a little bit more evenly distributed. Uh, and that's obviously in a perfect world here. But I will go under and optimistically, I'll say only because they're still dominant running the ball and they have so many weapons to throw to now that he's not going to get enough, uh, not getting enough reps, let's say, to get to 600. I think I am, we're in lockstep here today, Tim, because I, th- I was thinking under two. And, and, and 
similarly, I don't think because he'll be bad or anything. I think it'll just be because that's how, even if they change some things, I think that's just kind of how the Ravens operate. And I do think having a guy like Bateman and, and Greg Roman even talked about this will like increase, uh, the chances a guy like Hollywood Brown has, um, he theoretically will face less double teams. Similarly, Mark Andrews, you have to hope at least he's a little more open over the middle of the field. If they have another guy who can actually catch passes over the middle, <laughs> over the middle of the field also around. Um, so I, I, I still anticipate Mark Andrews and Marquise Brown being the top two receivers on the team. So I'll go under as well, mainly because of that reason. Uh, I was going to go under 600, but, you know, let's ma- embrace debate here. I'm going to say uh, over, and I'm going to speak for this reason. Hollywood Brown, I just pulled up. This kind of surprised me. As a rookie, he had 584 receiving yards, and that was his first season on the team. He had the, you know, is his foot bothering him? Is his foot not bothering him? I feel like he was in and out of the lineup a bunch when he would take a big hit or something like that. <laughs> And you have a first-round guy, a super talented guy, and you get a 17th game. I'm saying with all those factors, he ends up with 620 uh, receiving yards uh, <laughs> next year. Uh, all right, Ben Cleveland, is he going to start? Maybe this is not too, too easy of a question, but will he start more or less than nine games on the offensive line this season? Over. I think it's going to be over, too, just because – I for two reasons I think he is probably an improvement in theory over Bradley Bozeman who was like a seventh round pick I mean I Bradley Bozeman's become a great player but uh Bozeman a natural center has kind of been playing out of position and I think more so than even how good Cleveland is I think they want to move Bradley Bozeman to center it seems like that's been kind of the scuttlebutt uh coming out of the rain they haven't explicitly said that's what's happening but it sounds like that's what's happening um, because I can't imagine they want Patrick McCarty to be their center opening day next season or Tristan Colon Castillo. So um, assuming they want Bozeman at that center spot, they kind of don't have any other options now other than the playing Ben, I guess Ben Powers perhaps, but I, I, I think you spend a third round pick on a guard. You kind of expect him to play. So I'll go over to I I will agree. It'll depend on just how many offensive linemen they sign between now and what August 29th uh, of (laughs) of this summer. Um, But yeah, I'm going to say that his talent makes him play uh, more than nine games. And then the last one was a bit of a joke, but there were some excellent points made in the notes that I was writing in about this episode. And it's, will Ben Mason uh, start all 16 games at fullback slash tight end? And will he be a pro bowler this year? Uh, so that part's the joke, but Tim, next year? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, first of all, this again, this is still a Project Pat podcast, so I consider that a little bit of an insult, even as a joke. Uh, yeah, I wrote in here, I wrote in here, yes, next year. I think, I think someone's going to, I'm not going to say overpay, but pay Pat Ricard in a time where the Ravens need to pay a bunch of guys, so they're not going to be able to pay Pat Ricard, so he's going to leave. And that's sad, but it's kind of just how the business works. Um, and that's, I think that is a hundred percent why this Ben Mason pick was made. They value a fullback. They know that their one is getting, is about to be too expensive for them. So let's go draft another guy. And you know what? He's going to keep the tradition alive in Baltimore. Yes. He will start all 16 games in 2022 and be a pro bowler. And then in what, four years, he'll, he'll go off into the sunset and they'll draft somebody else. Pat Ricard yeah. Jr. 
<laughs> I think Tim just makes such a good point there because, uh, you know, Ricard doesn't get paid too, too much, but he, I looked up his contract. He gets a million bucks this year and uh, Ben Mason is going to make significantly less than that uh, the next few, uh, next four years. So yeah, I, I, I too think uh, Project Pat is his last ride. So let's win a Super Bowl, give him a ring, win one for Project Pat. And then he could walk in 2022. <laughs> I just, that screams Dan Campbell, giving him like a four year, $16 million deal. Um, all right. So that's it for the Ravens picks. We're going to do the random Raven quickly and then go to the NFL uh, draft, the, the Ravenless NFL draft segment. Um, but I'm up this week for the random Raven. So I'm going to kick it off here. Uh, this random Raven played on the team for parts of three seasons. 2017, 2018, and then part of 2019. He was drafted by the Ravens out of Alabama in the third round after totaling, it's frustrating to see this now, but out of Alabama in the third round after totaling 18 and a half sacks and 27 and a half tackles for loss in his last two seasons at Bama while winning a national championship along the way with the Ravens, he was not able to replicate the same success playing in only 19 games over those three seasons in Baltimore, totaling 16 tackles and two sacks. He finished 2019 with the green Bay Packers and is currently playing in the Canadian football league. He wore the same number as random Raven legend, Josh Bynes. And that is my random Raven for this week. I liked him and I forgot he existed. And seeing those numbers from Alabama frustrates me because why couldn't he do even half of that in, in, in the three years with the Ravens? Um, with that, we will turn now to the NFL. And you guys, the listeners, you've, you've seen the picks. You know who went in the top 10. So we're just going to kind of go over some things that got our attention, some things we liked or didn't like. Uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to turn to Tim first here, Tim, what was your favorite just bit of the NFL draft this year? I mean, I know we're supposed to go full NFL, but I'm starting with the Ravens because it wasn't mentioned during our breakdown of the actual picks, but it was a man who announced the picks and no, it was not Roger Goodell and his just God awful, stupid meme of a chair, uh, which is the thing that I hated the most during this entire draft. So we'll just skip over that one, but it's your friend and mine. Jacoby Jones, who came out to an, and maybe this is why this is my favorite pick because it was Jacoby Jones announcing Ben Cleveland to a bunch of Cleveland fans who were booing him the entire way. Cause they'll always be the little brother. They'll always be the one that we kick down the steps. They're worthless. They're nothing. And this is what he had to say to them. Hey, look, let me tell you something. Y'all can boo all y'all want, but you got to accept it. I got a ring. I got a ring. I got a ring. It is what it is. And this was a moment for me. It was late Friday night when this came out where I watched all of round two, all of round three, waiting for the Ravens to finally make their selection. And Jacoby Jones comes out and dances on the stage and then just reminds Cleveland of something that they will never, ever have. And that is a Super Bowl ring. And it was, a, th- th- by the way, this new version of the Cleveland Browns, you get it. You know what I'm talking about. It was just Oh, it was glorious. And just to quickly combine that into the entire Clevelandness of this draft, the first night, Roger Goodell, as he so often does, brings out a bunch of legends from that city so he doesn't get booed that much. 
He still gets booed, and then in his robotic tones goes, hey, give me some more. Yeah, come on, you can be louder. And they try and boo him, and he's announcing with him these legends of the Cleveland Browns. And, you know, Joe Thomas, he never won anything, but sure, fine. Good for him. He's lost a ton of weight. Never won anything. Great offensive tackle, but, you know, there's nothing to show for it. Um, and then they brought out Jarvis Landry, who is the second best receiver, maybe maybe first. Fine. I'll give him that. On this current iteration of the Cleveland Browns, they have either no legends. They don't have enough people to fill, by the way, the four slots that were up with Roger Goodell on that stage. They don't have enough people that – One, they don't have enough Cleveland Browns legends or two, enough people that still want to be associated with the franchise to show up. So they had to drag a current player out and call him a legend. That combined with Jacoby Jones, just I'm trying to find a PG way to say this. Take an old Cleveland steamer right on top of the entire city during the draft was one of my favorite things of all time. The the Jacoby thing was legendary. And I I love actually the second round uh especially the second round when they do the um like the legends because it's fascinating to see like who qualifies as a team legend and you know maybe even some Ravens fans would debate Jacoby Jones I love Jacoby Jones I think he held a very important place in Ravens history even though you know he's only here for three years but like they don't win a Super Bowl without him yeah he, he caught the most important pass in franchise history and then also scored two touchdowns in the super bowl one on the longest return ever so he's a legend in my book but uh the dance was fantastic that was awesome but then like some teams you know like the steelers used like franco harris and you're like yeah that makes sense he's franco harris one of the you know great pittsburgh steelers of all time uh but then you have teams like the Texans, who I guess you just don't have options, and guys like Andre Johnson like openly hate the franchise. So like, I believe it was like Chester Pitts was like their, their legend, like the former offensive lineman. <laughs> I don't was, know who that is. I, I, no I like, remember the name. I was like Chester Pitts. Like I hadn't heard his name in a long time. Uh, so I always like that. That's always a, a good, a funny part of the draft. And I will say to uh, Tim's point. The chair was so bizarre that I didn't even understand the chair until like either the next day. At some point, Goodell sat in it, and then I was like, oh, that's supposed to be his chair from the thing last year. Like, I didn't even remember it was a callback bit to just when he was like sitting in a chair announcing all these picks in 2020 at his house. Like, that's like how bizarre it was. I just didn't even piece it together. I was like, there's fans in the chair. And there was a funny moment. I don't know what round it was, but there was a Ravens fan in the chair and they actually had to go tell him to go sit down because he was just yelling <laughs> at the Cleveland fans and being very rowdy on the stage. So I enjoyed that too. Those were my favorite kind of uh, tangential draft bits, I guess you'd say. <laughs> uh, as for some of the, the personnel decisions, uh, the quarterbacks all went just about as early as, as we thought um, – with the, the fourth of the sort of top grouping, um, or actually I should say the fifth of the top grouping, Mac Jones going uh, at 15 to the New England Patriots. Uh, the Bears taking Justin Fields in a trade with the Giants, who I made, I think I made a joke on the last episode about how they never trade back. So, of course, the Giants traded back. And uh, 
I'll, I'll get your thoughts on, on this decision for the Bears. I thought they gave away a lot to move up nine spots. Um, they had to give up. So they swapped the 20th for the 11th pick with the Giants. They gave the Giants next year's first round pick plus a fifth rounder this past draft and a fourth rounder in next year's draft. So it's, it's a lot of draft capital, but I suppose if you're the Bears, if Justin Fields works out, whatever, you have a franchise quarterback. What did you guys think of, uh, of the trade and how he'll fit in with the Bears? I think it was a steal. I completely disagree with you. I think an extra first and a couple late round picks down the line for a guy that, you know, was probably the biggest enigma of the draft, but there were so many people in his corner like, no, just pick him. He's good. Like, what are we doing? There was a lot of that, some discourse reacting to the discourse on Justin Fields. Um, And for a franchise like the Bears, I mean, the joke has been made. Go look at their Instagram right now. Uh, As you know, your Instagram tiles, like the first nine you see on your profile page. I believe it's the the latest 12 posts on Instagram are all just pictures of Justin Fields or videos of Justin Fields. Like, they're very happy that Justin Fields is there in Chicago. He might be the best quarterback in franchise history already outside of Jim McMahon. Like, it could be argued. It could be argued. And and all he has to do is maybe win, like, a playoff game. Um, I thought it was a super cool moment. Obviously, we're all watching it together. Um, It seemed inevitable that Justin Fields was going to the Patriots, and then Matt Nagy came down, and, and Ryan Pace came down like these angelic figures <laughs> trading up to steal him away from the New England Patriots who ended up getting a cyborg in, in Mac Jones. But um, I, 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 I honestly do not think that's – I think they could have given up way more. I think uh, whoever was at 11, apologies, I can't remember. Uh, oh, it was the Cowboys. Giants. Or the Giants, sorry, you're right, because Dave Gettleman finally traded down. Right. Um, I think the Giants probably could have asked for way more in that spot. I think it's, I think it's arguably the pick of the draft getting fields at 11 there. I think it's great for them. I see both sides of it. Cause I think it is a lot to give up, but I will say if you're Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, you don't really care about the bears future first round picks. Cause if fields doesn't work, you're going to get fired anyway. So who cares that the GM next year doesn't have a first round pick, I guess. Um, but uh, that being said, I, I love Justin Fields. I really like Justin Fields. Um, I probably would have taken a second overall, honestly, if I was <laughs> that, if these were my things to do. But um, the one thing I worry about is, like, is he going to be the guy that breaks, as Tim mentioned, the Bears' literal decades of futility at quarterback? Until Cutler passed all their marks, their all-time leading passer was Sid Luckman, who retired in something like 1952 or something. <laughs> so uh, that's not great. And I worry just about the Bears ruining Justin Fields because I want him to succeed. So that's 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 my only real negative is I like the idea of the Bears trading up, but the entire history of the Bears suggests this will not work out. They traded up for Mitch Trubisky, as we famously remember just a few years ago. So. I don't know. I'm working. Yeah, that's really fair. And it's it's just one of those franchises that, like, I don't know. I kind of have a soft spot for the Bears. Like, you know, and like. They're Ravens West in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, they are. Um, the Ravens have been a little bit more successful. Yeah, with uh, more titles. Right. But, <laughs> Recently. But it's like one of those teams that I just, you know, defense, you know, tough grittiness. And you just, they needed a win. And that looks like a major win. And I think it's good. This just came across 
uh, as I'm, you know, just constantly addicted to Twitter, even as we record this show, this came from NFL and ESPN. Uh, Courtney Cronin, who is the Minnesota Vikings reporter for ESPN, said the Vikings had told Kirk Cousins and were prepared to take Justin Fields at number 14 if he was still there. So it looks like we would have been saved anyway. He was going to the NFC North anyway, but good on the Bears. I mean, they they probably didn't know that. Maybe they had some intel, but good on the Bears to even snatch him from a division rival. Some other small notes that I had from the first round. I, there were some cool uh, teammate pairings. I cannot remember there being this many uh, in a first round. Joe Burrow gets his LSU teammate, Jamar Chase. They did some stuff when they were together at LSU. My goodness. Uh, Tua gets Jalen Waddell, who uh, I'll uh, to quickly go over our mock draft recap was one of the, I mean, quote unquote mistakes. We had Devonta Smith ahead of Jalen Waddell, but Waddell going, uh, in the top 10, and he goes to Miami with Tua. Uh, Jalen Hurts gets Devontae Smith, his teammate. Um, they'll be playing in Philly. And then Trevor Lawrence drafted first. And then Travis Etienne, his running back from Clemson. They will be on the same Jags offense from day one. Uh, and then the, the maybe the strangest pick of the first round. And just, boy, the Raiders have done this more than once uh, in the last few years. And they take tackle Alex Leatherwood at 17, which it's fine. But many boards, Jace had Leatherwood like in the 40s, in the 50s, in terms of where he, he should have been uh, drafted. And he goes in the top 20 uh, yeah. to Las Vegas instead of, you know, maybe trade back and get the same exact guy even 10 or 20 picks later. But no, they take him at 17 and he's going to be their starting tackle. Yeah, Mike Mayock seems to now that Gettleman has finally traded down. It might be the Raiders are the new team that doesn't trade down. And I believe it was the ringer, maybe Roger Sherman there pointed out that since basically Mayak has come aboard, um, and I guess with Gruden, that they've drafted it, their first round players have all been players who played in the college football playoff and have come from like Alabama, Ohio, Ohio State, or Clemson. <laughs> <laughs> so you know that, like, yes. On the one hand, those are there's are our two, three of the best programs. There's in college football, they have great players. There's a reason they're playing in the playoff. But there's other good players that also don't play in the college football playoff. And it really seems like, I don't know, the Raiders just focus in on these 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 major program guys or I don't know. That seems like the only way to really explain Leatherwood. Because like you said, he was – I like he could have success in the NFL and I, you don't want to bet against Alabama guys. But it, it did seem by all accounts to be a reach, you know, Christian Darisol, I believe, was still on the board, and the Vikings had traded down uh, and then um, were able to snag him with one of their first-round picks. Um, so, and he was pretty universally considered a better prospect by most people than Alex Leatherwood. So, I don't know. It just seems like the Raiders have – I don't want to say they're a mess, but they certainly have a strategy, we'll say, when it comes to the draft, and that's becoming pretty noticeable. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not have cable, and so only watch the games that are on ABC. It, it makes no sense to me. I will say um, what I find the funniest about all of this is remember when Mike Mayock was, like, the draft guy? <laughs> yeah. Like, he made it – he did the one mock a year. He did, like, the one draft call that everybody had to be on, all the reporters had to be on. And he was seen as this expert, and now he just seems like an absolute dope um, every single time uh, with these first-round picks. To his credit, though, 
and I, I saw this a lot, so this is not an original thought by any stretch of the imagination, but they did get Trayvon Morrig in, in the second round, somebody that we had mocked to the Ravens going. And a lot of people made the joke, or the, just the observation, I should say, if those picks were flipped, people are talking about this is a good draft for the, for the Raiders. So maybe it is. We'll see. They still probably could have traded down and gotten more picks, though. So let's, let's talk a little bit about our mock then. Um, the results of, of what happened and what we thought would happen. Um, nailed picks one through five. We, I, I think for a second there we thought, you know, the dream was alive for, for the Cinderella run of correct picks. Um, we ended up getting those first five. We nailed 21 with Quiddy Pay to the Colts. I mean, this annoys me, but with 24 all over it, Najee Harris to the Steelers. Uh, the Ravens pick with Rashad Bateman, Greg Russo to the Bills at 30. And then we got the right position, but a different player uh, for pick 8, 13, 17, 28, and 29. So I'm pretty impressed for how difficult these things can be. Uh, 14 of our top 16 drafted players were drafted in the top 16. So we had two guys basically in our mock who did not end up going in the top 16. So uh, I'm pretty pleased with it. And maybe one of them should have, because we had Christian Derrissaw at 13 and uh, he was apparently not, not close to being uh, considered at 17, but he went 23. And then we had Owusu Koromora at 15 and he fell all the way to 52 um, so guys, uh, just some closing thoughts here on how our mock, uh, shaped up compared to uh, how that first round went. I'm really impressed. And I hate that JOK went to the Browns. That was the most frustrating moment of day two, I'd say, uh, was the Browns getting him. Uh, cause he, I, I'm, he just adds, you know, they take, I believe it was Greg Newsom in the first round and then to just add another seemingly great defensive piece he was the guy basically everyone was like wow i can't believe this guy slid this far and then just for your division rival to pick up two nice defensive play pieces and they you know they get john johnson and troy hill in free agency as well um i know we've talked about it but the browns are building something good and kind of for them all comes down to how good is baker mayfield kind of um so that'll be interesting. oh so we're fine yeah yeah i, I hope the answer is bad um as it comes to our mock uh i think the real wrinkle you kind of said it we had the right pick at eight but i feel like jc horn going there kind of threw everything off because then the broncos take patrick sertan and then the cowboys who we assumed would take one of um patrick sertan or jc horn because they need secondary help we're kind of uh you know left kind of just waiting out the altar i guess you could say uh in terms of secondary help so uh that that kind of the jc horn pick by the panthers i think kind of is where fully our mock went off the rails a little a little bit but you know that's what makes the draft exciting you never really know what i didn't see many people with you know not a lot not, not a lot of mock with jc horn to the panthers at eight so i don't fault us for that <laughs> uh yeah I was, I was gonna bring up mac jones going at 15 and getting 30 seconds on is this, do we like this for the Patriots or will Bill Belichick having an accurate pocket passer end up being more annoying than, than we want it to be? I, I, I've gone back and forth so many times that I really can't <laughs> offer an opinion. I don't know something about, and I didn't know this until uh, today as we record this, actually, it is Ernie Adams last season with the Patriots. Ernie Adams, if you don't know, um, is probably 
the most underrated person in terms of importance in this Patriots dynasty. He kind of does everything for them. Um, also cheats, which we should definitely, you know, keep in there as well. But nobody wants to talk about that because he's such a great upstanding guy. Um, but that part of it, and again, weird sports superstitious thing. You know, Ozzy's last draft is Lamar. I'm not saying it's that, but like Ernie Adams' last draft, and they go with Mac Jones, who's just sitting there, and then walks out with the Bill Belichick Terminator walk. It's like, oh, God, here we go. Like, this is going to be a problem. But that being said, I'm not overly terrified yet. We'll put it that way. What annoys me is I think the team he's going to, because I think the Patriots can get probably the most out of Mac Jones or close to it as good as any team. I still think Josh McDaniels is a pretty solid offensive mind. Um, They obviously – just won three Super Bowls fairly recently. So um, uh, I don't think, I, I think they could find some success with him. And I, and I think as far as the Cam Newton side of things, I think Cam's just, I think he's just had too many injuries. Cause obviously I think Cam Newton's a better football player than Mac Jones, but I, I think at this point in their lives, Mac might just give them a better option because he can just simply throw it farther and probably more accurate than Cam can at this point. Not into the ground yeah. five yards uh, in front of all of his wide receivers. Yeah, so so I really don't know what to expect. I feel like Mac Jones might have the widest variance of any guy in this draft. He could be like a Pro Bowl-level player, or he might just crash and burn real quick. But, um, I mean, I think it's nice to Patri- for the Patriots that they didn't have to trade up or trade down, just kind of sat tight and let, let a guy fall to them, and they got one of the, the, the first-round QB locks and didn't have to, you know, like the Texans talk themselves into – davis mills in the second round or uh you know the bucks take kyle trask which i like a little more it's just a developmental thing but uh yeah i don't know i really don't know what to expect from it so that'll make it interesting going forward here all right uh the last thing to do here really is uh, is read over this random raven again and then i'll give my co-hosts one last uh statement on the ravens draft class and, and just how successful we hope it will be um but first for the random raven this player was on the team for parts of three seasons, 2017, 18, and then part of 2019. He was drafted by the Ravens out of Alabama in the third round after totaling 18 and a half sacks and 27 and a half tackles for loss in his last two seasons at Bama and winning a national championship along the way. With the Ravens, he was not able to replicate the same success, playing in only 19 games over those three seasons totaling 16 tackles and two sacks. He finished 2019 with the Green Bay Packers and is currently playing for Saskatchewan in the Canadian the Football Riders. League. That's right. <laughs> he wore the same number as random Raven legend, Josh Bynes. Uh, who is this random Raven? So I definitely know, Jace. So do you want to take a stab? I think I have it as well. Um, So I can guess. I believe this is Tim Williams. It's definitely Tim Williams. This is Tim Williams. Uh, That's true. Um, A random Raven who had 19 games with the Ravens and 18 and a half sacks in two years with Alabama. And that's one of those picks that just didn't really work out. A third rounder. A rusher. so good at the time. I loved it at the time because he was – he was awesome at Alabama. <laughs> but yeah, that is the random Raven. We'll slot him in the lineup deep on the depth chart of defensive <laughs> players because there are some, some better guys in there. Um, but yeah, that's it for us. Guys, final thoughts. The Ravens, picks, Rashad Baton, OA, Cleveland. <laughs> uh, what do you think of this draft overall? 
uh, and how do you think it'll pan out? I, I look, it's so hard to grade these things now. I think it's going to work out great. Um, I think, I think especially with the first two picks, Bateman and Oway, a lot depends on coaching one offensively changing the identity just a little bit. And two defensively being able to fit an athlete into that system to, to help him thrive as much as possible, especially early. But you look at guys like Sean Wade late, you look at getting a fullback replacement late, who again, looks like a stud fullback for a guy that is very important for this team. I, it sounds stupid, but Ricard is an important player for this run game. Um, you know, Tylen Wallace is a guy people love. I already said my piece about Ben Cleveland. I don't have to keep going. Um, I think it was overall great. Um, I do want to mention one thing that we didn't bring up on this podcast. And if people are shouting at us, I don't think you want to hear it anyway. You can go to literally any other sports podcast or, or ESPN or NFL network, what have you to hear about Aaron Rodgers. Um, it looks like Aaron Rodgers is not going to be playing in green Bay. Who knows that will develop. I'm sure we'll talk about it, but I just wanted to throw a mention in there. Guys, we know it's a thing. We we understand. We know we just had to spend so much time waxing poetic about Eric DaCosta again that we didn't have time for it today. Uh, yeah, I, that's we'll see how that plays out. <laughs> but, uh, as, in terms of the Ravens draft, I am very pleased with it. I think, you know, it's, it's hard to think back of how I felt in the moment. I think on the whole, I'm more pleased with this class than I was with last year's uh, kind of haul, even though. There was some 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 highlights, you know. J.K. Dobbins is obviously looks like a great player, and Patrick Queen I think solid. But I think just this year they addressed um, so they hit so many areas of need, but also I think did some interesting things w- by taking guys with kind of some some high ceilings, guys like or like who have a lot of potential. Your 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 Brandon Stevens, you, you know your uh, always. Um, um, and so I, I think just that kind of philosophy of just ath- a lot of athletic freaks this year, it seems like, you know, Ben Cleveland and an athletic freak the other way, just his size. <laughs> um, so I, I think taking the emphasis on athleticism, taking big school guys and kind of hitting the areas of need. I found it all very interesting, but I, I come away pretty pleased. I think, especially Rashad Bateman, I think they get some players that are going to help and, uh, uh, day one and in, in areas of need. So I'm excited to see them on the field. I hope we get some semblance of a preseason this year. That would obviously be nice for rookies to have since they didn't last year. I don't know actually, honestly, where they stand on that at this point, but um, yeah, I'm just excited to get these guys uh, in and sort of hopefully get a, a, a more normal than usual or than certainly the last year off season process to help them hit the ground running day one. The thing that happened after the draft in the days after something I forget every year and you have your team get exciting players and then you want to see them play, but you don't really see anything for months. And, and I don't like that. I want it to be August. Now I want to be rolling into this Ravens season. Yeah, we haven't even really seen them like wearing Ravens uniforms even yet. <laughs> Just the, uh, the photoshopped uh, versions of right. Um, so that's, I'm, I'm ready just to see these guys now. I'm excited about it. Uh, and it should be an awesome season with Jace, as you mentioned, some needs filled in the first few rounds and even in the later rounds and then depth elsewhere. We'll be back in two weeks. We're back on our, on our every other uh, week schedule here on pod, like a Raven until we get closer to some of the, some of the summer workouts and stuff. Um, excited to talk about future NFL news. Hopefully maybe we'll have a few additions to talk about on this Ravens roster by then 
with uh, free agent signings now, not counting against uh, comp picks. So we're looking forward to bringing all that for you. For Tim Horsey and Jay Sevens, I'm Antonio Barbera. Thank you for listening to Pod Like a Raven. We will be back in two weeks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.